Good evening and welcome back to Doctors in the House. My name is Dr. Daryl Hill and as always it's a pleasure to be here with you in the house and today we're fortunate to have our co-host and special guest today, uh, Dr. Jameson. Yes, hi. My name is Dr. Ayim Jameson. I'm a cardiologist in the um, DC metro area and I'm um, excited to be here with Daryl, my good friend and colleague to co-host this show. Yes, Thank you. Yes, sir. Um, today we're going to be talking about heart disease and as many of you should know, heart disease is a leading cause of death and I think we're very fortunate to have Dr. Jameson here with us today to just talk a little bit more about what this means and what are some of the things we can do to stay healthy. So um, I'm going to give Dr. Jameson a chance to just introduce himself again and give his address and contact information, and then we'll get into the show. Okay, yes. Yeah. So like um, Dr. Hill says, my name is Dr. Jameson. I'm a board-certified cardiologist with offices in a main office in um, Beltsville, Maryland. My office address is 10756 Rhode Island Avenue, Beltsville, Maryland. I also have offices in Bowie and, and in Columbia. Um, all these addresses can be found on my website, which is www.metrocardiovascular.com. Again, that's www.metrocardiovascular.com. And as always, uh, I'm with Laurel Medical Associates, and my office number is 301-497-0401. And I can be found on the web at laurelmedicine.com. So why don't we do this? We have a nice video that briefly describes heart disease. So I'm, I'm thinking, let's go ahead and go to the video and then get back into the show. So um, enjoy this video real quick. The heart keeps us alive. So having heart disease can be a very important factor in how long we live. Heart disease is a big term referring to any disease of the heart. Now the most common cause is coronary artery disease. And that refers to a buildup of plaque in the arteries. Over time, it can lead to narrowing of arteries and risk of a heart attack. A heart attack is when a part of the heart muscle dies because it is deprived of blood flow or oxygen. Or it can be due to the heart having to work really, really hard that outstrips the oxygen supply. Most coronary artery disease is preventable, says Dr. Hayes. If you're smoking, stop. If you're a couch potato, get up and start taking 10 or 20 minute walks every day. Physical activity is medicine. Know your cholesterol and blood pressure numbers and maintain a normal weight. These are all ways to help reduce your risk of heart disease. For the Mayo Clinic News Network, I'm Vivian Williams. Well, there we have it. Heart disease, as you can see, is all around us, and um, there are things we can do. So, Dr. Jameson, why don't you tell us what, what your thoughts are about heart disease, and what are some of the things we can be doing? Alrighty, so like, um, like the intro video said, heart disease is a, is a combination of multiple um, um, diseases, the, the most common of which is coronary artery disease, which um, is a buildup of black plaque and blockage of any of the main arteries supplying heart and blood to the heart. Um, it's a really common disease, very pervasive in the African-American community especially. Actually, I had a, an opportunity to talk to a group of women mm -hmm. and recently, you know, it was um, pink goes red. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we always hear about breast cancer and there's a lot of push for prevention with breast cancer. But believe it or not, heart disease kills many more patients, many more women than breast cancer. 
actually one in eight women in one in eight women in America would have some form of heart disease in their lifetime as opposed to one in 25 with breast cancer. So it's a very important disease. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we are doing enough, especially in our communities where not only are we, we, we have um, a higher incidence of heart disease in both women and men, and we have increased morbidity and mortality, i.e. we die more and get sicker from heart disease compared to our Caucasian compatriots. So it's a very important thing. And the, 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 the good thing about it is most of it is, um, is preventable and it's all mm -hmm. about lifestyle and you know listening to your doctor and doing the right things and you know you can prevent or at least you know push back the, right, right. the, um, the I initial incidence of heart disease. And, you know it's interesting too because not just in this country is it the leading cause of death but when you travel to the UK and Europe same thing over there. Yes not only in the UK and Europe definitely in the Western world mm -hmm. but what we are realizing as well is that even in the developing world, you know, it's overtaking the communicable diseases and becoming the most common cause of death. Right. You know, it's followed by cancer, but definitely heart disease is the most common. And like we've said before, heart disease is an amalgam of diseases. There's coronary artery disease, there's congestive heart failure, and even hypertension and, and high cholesterol can actually be considered heart disease as well. And of, obvious, and of course, we have... Um, abnormal heart rhythms as well. But right. I think today we are con will concentrate mm -hmm. primarily on coronary artery disease since it's the biggest of the lot. And it's still the number one cause of death in America. Right. Um, higher than cancer, higher than um, HIV, higher than road traffic accidents. It's still the number one cause of death. And, and you make a good point too because with cardiology and cardiovascular disease, mm -hmm. There are so many things to talk about, but you're right. Today we're going to try to concentrate on um, cardiovascular disease, and, and as we talk about it, let's, let's get right into it. Let's talk about some of the risk factors. Okay. And as I recall, there are some that are preventable and some which aren't preventable. Yes. So let's just talk about that. Yes, so we always talk about nature and nature, but even the ones that are not preventable can be modifiable. Mm -hmm. So the big risk factors for coronary artery disease are the presence of hypertension, the presence of diabetes, high cholesterol, obesity, mm -hmm. especially, you know, in men, a uh, waist circumference of greater than 40 um, inches and in women, 38 inches. And the other, other diseases like um, um, kidney disease that are also contributory and um, smoking, a big one, and uh, living a sedentary lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, a lot of this you can, you can, you can do stuff about. The first thing you can do stuff about is stop smoking. You know, some things, you know, you might be born with and there's very little you can do about it, but you can stop smoking. And then we talk about, you know, not living a sedentary lifestyle. The recommendation from the American Heart Association is walking 30 minutes a day of brisk walking or moderate ex exertion 30 minutes a day, five days a week. And for the other two days, doing some strength training. Mm -hmm. So it's not a lot. And by brisk walking, I'm not talking about just walking casually with friends, but actually working up a sweat, getting your heart rate up, and um, and doing some brisk walking. You can do walking. You can do cycling. You can you can you can um, swim. You know, all of which are, are are good ways of keeping um, getting your aerobic exercise. And then some strength strength training two days a week. We are talking about moderate strength training. You don't have to do anything excessive. You know, 30 minutes I don't think is too much, but um, 
obviously in this in this day and age everybody's so busy sometimes yeah, yeah. you know it's it's more than people can get in so um, there's also talk about doing 15 minutes of vigorous exercise like mm -hmm. you know the highly trained folks like you Daryl <laughs> you know can do very vigorous exercise or spinning or something like that for 15 minutes five days a week so really you need to get some exercise in every day of the week okay and of course the next thing we can talk about is diet again we are we'll start with the things that we can modify there are so many fads out there, you know, a low-carb diet, a low-fat diet. I think the important thing is to have a sensible diet of, you know, low in carbs, especially your refined carbs, which is refined rice, sugars, um, potatoes, re refined pastas, mm -hmm. and increase your fruit and vegetables. So as much fruit and vegetable as you can, healthy portions of that. We talk about a card, you know, your pack of cards. If you think about a box or a pack of cards, that size of protein. Right. And with the protein, it's preferably a plant-based protein. Mm -hmm. Or if you have to eat animal protein, we recommend more fish and white meat. And by white meat, we mean you know chicken without the skin, broiled or grilled, not fried. Um, and you know actually turkey, so all poultry. And surprisingly, um, pork, but we're talking about this, the lean pork. I always mm -hmm. tell this um, story about a patient who came with his wife to see me, and mm -hmm. we, I was having this talk with him, and I told him about, you know, having mm -hmm. lean pork, and you know what, 10 minutes after the, we, they left the office, I get a frantic call from his wife. Did you tell my husband he can eat ham? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about lean pork that is grilled, not processed meat. Processed meat should be totally out of it, because not only is it jam-packed with salt, it's, it's processed mm -hmm. and it's not healthy. And, um, and it also contributes to the other, the other risk factors, especially hypertension. You know, it's interesting because I feel like as a society, we're getting smarter about nutrition. We're starting to learn how to read labels and this whole movement towards a plant-based diet, a whole food diet mm -hmm. is starting to pick up steam for for many of us however it's hard to realize just what habits do to you some of us eat the way we've eaten for so long mm -hmm. and it's hard to make that change so what i agree with you there's got to be a movement yeah, in absolutely this you know that the truth of the matter is you know our forefathers were hunters and gatherers mm -hmm. so they walked to get their food and even as recently as the beginning beginning of the last century we still bought our food at the farm gate, right? Mm -hmm. So you got your fresh meat, you got your fresh grains, rather than everything processed. Unfortunately, right. as you know, we've, we, the, because there's so much convenience in walking to the supermarket now for foods, you know, we have to contend with the issues, especially with all the processing of mm -hmm. meats and other foods right. and refining of foods. For example, our, all our grains, you know. Um, with, you know, it's all modern technology that has led to polished rice and right. refined pastas mm -hmm. and all of that. Back in the day, I'm sure rice, I mean, there's wild mm -hmm. rice now, which is not refined. And brown rice. And too. brown rice. So all of these have a higher, um, higher content of, right. of, of fiber. And I will which say, helps, yes. I will say we're, we're planning to have a nutritionist come in and talk mm -hmm. more about this, but mm -hmm. we haven't even gotten into the whole fast food industry and, and how I call it the, the marketing companies know more about how we eat, what we eat than many of us do. So, so I guess we can say 
it's very important that we all um, think a little harder and prepare more so because it's when you're trying to do things fast and, and you're eating those yeah. high calorie, low nutrient meals that really get us in trouble. Yes. Uh, yes. But as we as we move forward with risk factors, anything else you want to comment on? Yes. So obviously, those are the two things, the three things you can, or you know, three things you can modify: smoking, your diet, and exercise. And the other risk factors, um, like a family history. So if you have a family history, if you have a first-degree relative, which means siblings, parents, or grandparents, first-degree male relative who has had um, a heart attack mm -hmm. or has heart disease at an age less than 45, and in females 55, that is a risk factor. The other risk factors are diabetes, right. like we talked about, mm -hmm. and um, high blood pressure. Right. So you need to know your, you know, you need to go for your 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 um, physicals and find out what your sugar is, which is routinely taking with your blood blood work. Right. You, you also need to know what your cholesterol levels are. There's a good cholesterol and a bad cholesterol. I'm sure we'll get into that further. Mm -hmm. You need to know what that is and what your blood pressure is. And obviously, um, we talked about obesity. Funnily enough, obesity is only now being figured out right. to, to determine whether it's a, it's a direct risk factor. But we know the waist circumference is mm -hmm. because what happens when you, when, you, when your waist circumference is higher is that you develop something we call insulin resistance. Yeah. And that leads to heart disease. Basically, your body, you get resistant to the, body, to the insulin your body re re releases and it increases your, your chances of developing heart disease. So, so why don't you share with mm -hmm. the audience, what are those classical symptoms which might mm -hmm. suggest a heart attack? Okay, so classically, and I'm glad you said right, classic right. because um, we are we we are realizing more and more, especially in women, that you yeah. know these symptoms are are definitely not classic most of the time. But when the classic symptom for a heart attack is crushing midsternal, that crushing pain right in the middle, that does or does not radiate into to your arm mm -hmm. or up into your neck, um, which is usually associated with shortness of breath, dizziness, sweats, or nausea, or feeling your heart beating fast. So those are that's right. classic. Usually sudden onset. And in addition to this, a lot of patients describe a feeling of doom, as mm -hmm. if, you know, it's, it's over for us. Right. So if you have any of those symptoms, the suggestion is you call 911 immediately. 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 Now, these are the symptoms for an acute heart attack, but don't forget, this could be insidious. It could mm -hmm. come, creep on right. slowly. And so what we also talk about is angina, which is an acute heart attack, but which suggests that you have a narrowing. And in this case, patients classically present with chest pain, that comes on with exertion or with stressful situations and is relieved with rest. That's the classic. Right. But as Daryl will tell you, and we actually had a common patient recently mm -hmm. who didn't have those symptoms. Right, it right. Could have, it could, it could, um, a patient could come, up, come in with shortness of breath or just feeling generally fatigued yeah. or getting sweaty for no reason or nausea, especially female patients and especially female patients with diabetes. In fact, we know that you know, um, females are, you know, are less recognized when they mm -hmm. come to the emergency room with, with the heart attacks because, one, there's always been an assumption that they have less heart attacks than males. Right, right. And secondly, um, you know, they have these atypical presentations. Another thing I forgot to mention was that females, as far as risk factors are concerned, generally before menopause, w women are kind of, sort of, protected from hearts, okay. heart attacks. But once they pass menopause, their, their um, risk approximates the risks, risks in men, mm -hmm. which is not to say 
I'm sure we've all seen women, premenopausal right. women who have come in with heart attacks, so especially those with a, the genetic predisposition. Yeah. So, so let's comment real quickly too. Um, there are some groups of people and patients that have different issues when it comes to heart disease. Like for example, diabetic patient. Yes. What, yes. What, what would you say is more characteristic about a diabetic patient and heart disease? Well, we, we generally assume that anybody who's had long-standing di diabetes, and the definition of long-standing yeah. really differs, but to my mind, anybody who's had diabetes for more than three years, and okay. I talk about type okay. two diabetes, which is the kind that occurs in adults. Anybody who's had long-standing diabetes is assumed to have coronary artery disease right. until proven otherwise. So anybody, any diabetic really should be following up and having, having you know, um, at least an EKG annually with their primary care physicians. And if there's anything sh that shows up on that EKG, then it should be followed by um, a consultation with a, a cardiologist. The other problem about diabetics, especially those who have got very long-standing um, mm -hmm. diabetes, they could have what we call silent heart attacks. Unfortunately, the diabetes affects the, the nerves, and so they don't, right. they don't perceive pain like other people. So you can have a heart attack and it won't show up, which is why it's important that they have EKGs. So it's important that diabetics are, are screened for heart disease and are followed. And so we really are even more aggressive in mm -hmm. treating diabetes, diabetics. And, you know, I, I, I consider diabetes. Diabetes, as I'm sure you all know, is a disease where you have um, elevate, elevation in the blood sugar. But I would, I, would, I would say that diabetes is actually a cardiovascular disease right. with associated high blood sugar because that is what kills mm -hmm. diabetics. It's not the high right. sugar, generally speaking. And, and it's interesting, too, because with, with our demographic changes, mm -hmm. aging population, and the in increase in prediabetes and diabetes, and the corresponding increasing cardiovascular disease. I can only imagine what that means for our audience and what it means for doctors and our, and our cardiologists too. Mm -hmm. And um, so I guess we can get into it later, but if you want to comment briefly now, how does that affect some of the treatment um, at that population? Well, uh, I guess, you know, um, like you say, I think the threshold and our um, degree of suspicion should be higher mm -hmm. and we should go aggressively um, like, um, looking for coronary artery disease. We also need to be more aggressive in treating their blood pressure, making sure their right. blood pressure is at goal. Um, they should all be on an aspirin mm -hmm. and we should really be aggressively trying to get their cholesterol levels under control. So in my, for me, any diabetic should have the same um, goals in cholesterol level reduction mm -hmm. as somebody with established coronary artery disease. So the bad cholesterol, which we call the LDL, we generally like it to be less than, well, 100 is good, 70 is great, but for diabetics, I always want it below 70. Now, my understanding, mm -hmm. too, mm -hmm. and I want to hear your opinion, mm -hmm. even if the cholesterol is normal, mm -hmm. are you still given that cholesterol medication? Yes, because, um, um, especially, you know, it's what, what, what do we define as normal? That's right. the thing, you right. know. So usually, I mean, if you look at, at the standards, even a, a bad cholesterol of 130 used to be called good. But mm -hmm. in these patients, um, we need to treat it because the thing about, and this is only, a, at least for now, a specific group of mm -hmm. um, um, cholesterol medications called the statins. And, and the statins, in addition to lowering the cholesterol, 
actually stabilize the plaque. You know, if you remember the cartoon we saw at mm -hmm. the beginning, mm -hmm. there's there's a plaque buildup in these arteries, and it's when these these plaques become unstable that you have a rapidly developing clot that it leads to uh, heart uh, to heart attacks. So we know the the the, the statins, especially the the more the more potent ones, mm -hmm. um, um, stabilize that plaque and definitely lead right. to a decrease in um, heart attacks. And the reason why I raise that question is because you get a few patients in the office who are diabetics mm -hmm. and their cholesterol's perfect, mm -hmm. especially before that diagnosis of diabetes. Yeah. And then you say, here, here's another pill, mm -hmm. and there's always some confusion. There's, there's, over there's, that. there's, there's a lot of um, mm -hmm. pushback, and yeah, hopefully, yeah. would have a um, a panel discussion one day on mm -hmm. you know the benefits of treating right. um, lipids because there's a lot of negative press mm -hmm. out there right. as far as the statins are concerned a lot of which is undeserved. Right. I'm sure we both remember the the incidents of heart attacks when we were medical students and mm -hmm. when we were residents. It's definitely reduced, right. and I think one of the reasons is because we are giving much many more patients statins. Right. Right. So. In the right patient, right. and the whole thing is selecting the right patient, statins are still a very valuable, mm -hmm. you know, treatment, you know, right. and part of the, the treatment to prevent heart attacks. And what we'll try to do is when we get into the second part of the show, we'll, we'll focus a little bit more on um, diagnostic procedures mm -hmm. and the treatments, too, mm -hmm. um, so we can just highlight those points. Uh, let's move on to... What about sleep apnea? Any particular mm. cardiac issues? For yes. So um, first of all, maybe, you know, um, even though that's more in the realm of the pulmonologist and mm -hmm. the sleep specialist, it's something we come across all the time. Mm -hmm. And sleep apnea is a situation in which patients, for a variety of reasons, don't actually have a, um, a good enough sleep because mm -hmm. um, th through the night, on multiple occasions, they actually stop breathing. Right. And when that happens, there's a their heart and their lungs are starved of oxygen and that has long-term sequelae. Um, the usual problems, we usually see these with patients with very big necks, um, what we call a nuchal obesity, patients who are overweight and patients who have problems with, their, with, with the anatomy of their, their mouth, their oral cavity. And any particular uh, cardiac manifestations? Yes, yes, the biggest thing we are concerned about with patients with sleep apnea is their blood pressure is generally very difficult oh. to control. I've seen some of yes. my highest blood pressures yes. with sleep apnea. Yes. I'm talking 200s, mm -hmm. 120s, mm -hmm. easy. And, and really, once they, once they treat their sleep apnea, their, mm -hmm. their blood, they, mm -hmm. they actually are able to get off um, some of the medications. Obviously, wow. the biggest thing to do is lose weight, mm -hmm. you know, avoid alcohol, and, you know, that is the beginning. But some of them need to be on, on, on what we call CPAP, which is a machine they have to sleep on at night to keep their airways ways open and prevent, you know, the, the drop in oxygen levels. Right, okay. right. And so that's the biggest thing. The other thing sleep apnea can cause is it can cause the pressures, because the oxygen levels are down, the pressures in their lungs go up mm -hmm. and they develop a condition called pul pulmonary hypertension, right. which is basically um, high blood pressure in the lungs. And that leads to the um, failure of the right side of the heart mm -hmm. and can eventually affect the left side, you know. Wow. Yes. So why don't we just take a quick moment? Why don't you tell our audience what made you become a cardiologist? Where'd you go to school, and oh, how goodness. are you enjoying the world of cardiology? Okay, I'm originally from Ghana, and I did my um, medical school back in Ghana. I came to the states and was in um, Mount Sinai, Beth Israel Medical Center in New York, 
where I did both my um, internal medicine and cardiology fellowship, after which I moved to this area and I've been here since mm -hmm. then. I've got um, interest in coronary artery disease, nuclear cardiology, echocardiograms, and um, vascular medicine, okay. as well okay. as um, congestive heart failure. Actually, um, um, as you know, um, Daryl, I do a lot of clinical trials in these mm -hmm. areas as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I'm a, um, I've been a principal investigator in quite a few um, trials in these areas. What's been, your, what's been your biggest um, thing that made you feel good about a patient or being a cardiologist? Well, I think of all the internal medicine subspecialties, um, at least as of now, and I know some of my, my colleagues in other subspecialties would probably not agree with me, but I think, you know, one, I came um, in a time when there was a lot of progress being made in therapeutics in, in, in cardiology, and I feel like we, we, we have the greatest impact. Mm -hmm. We are actually able to cure patients, you know, or modify their lives extensively, you know, okay. as opposed to other forms or other, other subspecialties in the um, internal medicine space. So I found it very satisfying. And obviously, the fact that, you know, cardiology or cardiac disease was the number one um, cause of mortality made it even more more satisfying professionally for me and um, we've seen even though we've not made as much room as soon as possible and we are doing things differently you know um, now most in most at least in most major metro areas mm -hmm. we are able to get a clocked artery open within 90 minutes and save right. heart muscle um, and we do, we're doing that more efficiently now because patients are going straight to the cath lab and having a um, cardiac catheterization and a stent placed when I started, and this ages me, when I started um, <laughs> residency and um, um, residency, we were doing this using a clot buster. Now, it was, it was not as good, mm. so we infused a clot buster. It, wow. it, 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 it took care of some of it, but obviously, now we are doing much better with, with more modern technology. So yeah, we have more research, more treatment. It says more treatment. But higher standards. Yes, but apart from that, and that's why I said we, you know, um, statins and such a bad name. Mm -hmm. We, we in the field, are doing more in preventing, right. in um, early diagnosis of coronary artery disease, and um, in in putting patients on the right medications, right. the statin, making sure their blood pressure is controlled. And you know, one medication that is, is you know, is such is has been so valuable. It's been a, an ordinary aspirin. Yeah. You know? So, we, so we've gotten, yeah. we've really gotten more aggressive, <coughs> and, and part of that aggressiveness means uh, people are taking more medication yes. too. So mm -hmm. as long as that person can come to terms with taking more medication, yeah. they tend to have a better outcome. Yeah. But I think there's still ways to go. Like I was saying, especially mm -hmm. in women, you know, mm -hmm. most women are acutely aware of the need to have their mammograms need to be screened for. Right breast cancer and you know like I said in a recent talk I mean 
a lot of women that didn't realize that heart disease actually kills more than breast cancer. And I asked, right. I asked, so how many of you have ever thought of screening, getting a screening for heart disease? And, you know, not a single hand oh, went yeah. up. Now, so there's still some work to be done, especially in our communities. And we're going to be preparing for our first break. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, um, as we prepare for break, um, mm -hmm. anything that you're seeing different in the majority population compared to African Americans when it comes to heart disease? Any, anything stand out to you? Well, like I said before, our mortalities and morbid morbidities are higher. And I think there, there are a variety of reasons. One is that <coughs> is access. There's a oh big no. problem with access, okay? Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> that kind of improved after um, the, the Affordable Care Act, but we are falling off again. Right, right. <coughs> so because we, we, uh, we not only is access a problem, we are less likely to have good insurance. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and it's hard to believe that yeah. insurance can really dictate these types of um, treatments and interventions because my understanding my utopic understanding is if someone shows up at the ER or the hospital they're gonna get the treatment they need and all the financial stuff get worked out later I mean how does that play out for you well which is generally true so if mm -hmm. somebody comes with an acute what we call an ST elevation MI mm -hmm. they will get the treatment but don't forget the reason we are trying to prevent them from getting there in the first place. Mm -hmm. right. So it's important that they get get to see a primary care physician, right. get important. to do the screening. And we know that even despite the fact that you say, you know, insurance should not play a part when you get to the ER, we know right. that, I mean, it's very clear, uninsured patients die at a higher rate yeah. from acute diseases than insured patients, you know. And um, I wouldn't want to say physicians, you know, especially in an acute um, um, situation, look at it. But it's not only getting the acute mm. treatment in the hospital, mm -hmm. it's the follow-up, being on the medications to prevent a secondary event. Right. And to prevent that stent from closing up again. So, you know, and I, I've, I've seen it um, where patients have had mm -hmm. their stent placed mm -hmm. and they, don't, they can't afford the medications well, you to make, keep it You open. make a very good point because mm -hmm. as you talk about that, I'm reminded of many situations with the prior authorizations yeah. and, and insurance denials. And you're right, that long-term plan, once you do your intervention to prevent problems, can be a big challenge. Mm -hmm. So, so for those people who like to call in with questions, the phone number is 240-719-2560. Once again, 240-719-2560. So I, I think we're going to take our first break, and we will see you on the other side where we'll talk more about um, treatments, diagnostic procedures, and anything else that can help you. Thank you. In 2018, I personally helped several people reclaim their healthy lives with a ketogenic lifestyle. Together with our team at Wakaya Perfection, we have helped over 4,000 people struggling with weight loss burn off unwanted fat naturally, control hypertension, type 2 diabetes, and high cholesterol with our Beulah Fit Keto Fuel Shake and high-impact ginger and turmeric. Contact me for yours. Buttons about that ketolife.mywakaya.com. That's B-U-T-T-O-N-S-B-O-U-T-T-H-A-T-K-E-T-O-L-I-F-E dot M-Y-W-A-K-A-Y-A dot com or call 202-875-3926. 
Ragnar. So welcome back to Doctors in the House. We are in the house talking about cardiology and heart disease today, and we are fortunate to be hearing from Dr. Jameson. So we're going to get into talking a little bit more about treatment and diagnostic procedures. So let's, let's get, it, get right into it. Let's talk about those studies and tests that help us figure things out with heart disease. Okay, so obviously the first thing is to have, get a good history and physical, so you, in, in your history. I think we have a caller calling in. Let's go ahead and take the call. Sorry to interrupt you there. That's okay. <laughs> Hello, caller. Turn your computer down. And uh, is there a question? Uh, feel free to call back, caller. Thank you. Let's get back into the program here. Yes, so um, you know the first thing is to get a good history and physical ask for the mm -hmm. for the symptoms we talked about um, talk um, find out about risk factors and um, obviously get your blood pressure make sure your blood pressure is well controlled mm -hmm. and the first thing you do at the bedside is get an EKG and the EKG might be totally normal because you know um, you could have heart disease and have a completely normal EKG. You've not right. had a yeah. heart attack or you're not having a active mm -hmm. symptoms. And based on the symptoms, um, one of the first tests we do is what we call a stress test, okay? Mm -hmm. And the stress test is a test we do to determine if a patient is at risk for a heart attack now in the future. And the basic <coughs> goal of a stress test is to do what? Um, it's really a risk. It's really a diagnostic and risk stratification test. So it determines, you know, it helps us diagnose coronary artery disease to about as 90, 80 to 90 percent degree of um, accuracy. And also, depending on how long a patient walks on the treadmill, mm -hmm. it's, it, it, it gives us some prognosis as well. So okay. we're trying to get the heart working a little harder. Yes. So basically what we're doing with the stress test is we are, we are getting the patient's heart to work harder. Mm -hmm. As the heart works harder, there's an increased demand for blood. Mm -hmm. And if there's a blockage anywhere, um, the heart can't compensate for that increased demand right. and it shows up on an EKG as changes and sometimes we do imaging in addition to the EKG to increase the the, the diagnostic yield and there right. are a couple of different tests we do we can do what we call a stress echocardiogram mm -hmm. or we can do a, a stress nuclear study both of which show us what the heart is doing at rest and how the blood supply is after exercise. I, I know it's interesting too mm -hmm. because um, Patients, when we're doing these tests, can have a regular stress mm -hmm. test mm -hmm. or they can have a pharmacologic stress yes, test. Yes. Um, Given the audience a chance to understand okay. what that means. Okay, so I do we have a call coming in? All right, we'll, we'll go ahead and take the call. Uh, caller, thanks for calling. Who's calling? Hello. How are Thank you? Thank you for having me. How are you? Fine, thank you, sir. Thanks for calling. Well, what's your question, caller? Well, I wanted to know, are there ways that you can tell if someone is experiencing a heart attack or having issues? Are there signs and symptoms to be able to detect? I think that's a great question, caller. Yes. Thank you for your question. Thank you. Okay, so like we said before, I mean, chest pain is the biggest thing. So you've got crushing chest pain in the middle of your chest, usually radiating down your arm or up your neck. Mm -hmm. um, that is suggestive of um, a heart attack, especially if in addition to that, you break out into a sweat, you get mm -hmm. short of breath, you get lightheaded, or you feel your heart pounding, mm -hmm. or you have this um, feeling of Im impending doom, like we call it. Right. So that's classic, but then, you know, sometimes you, it can present with a sudden onset of shortness of breath or unexplained sweats, or the mm -hmm. chest pain can be, can be different. I mean, I, we have, we've had patients who have presented with 
you know, hard burn type chest pain. But um, anything out of the ordinary should immediately, you know, you know, um, lead to, you know, some intervention or call in 911. Mm -hmm. I believe it's better to err on the side of caution. So if you have chest pain that that is right. not is not it's is out of the ordinary, it's best to just call nine one one and go to the to, to the ER rather than, you know, um um, um do nothing about it. Okay. Right. Sometimes there are symptoms leading to this, like you'd realize that mm -hmm. days or months before your exercise capacity has gone down, or now mm -hmm. you're getting chest pain when you walk when you never used to do it. Right. Do that. So th there are things that lead to that. But then, um, definitely, the hallmark is chest pain. So any form of chest pain that's out of the ordinary Perfect. really should should mm -hmm. should lead you to seek medical attention. Any other questions, caller? Oh, thank you. You know, it's interesting you, you, we talk about this because I think what we're hearing here too, if you have chest pain you want to get it addressed, number one. Number two, all chest pain is not necessarily going to be a cardiac issue, but you don't want to take chances. Now, I'll be honest with you. Um, I get confused sometimes because if you get that person who isn't exercising anymore and now they're walking around or getting back to exercising, they're going to maybe get some shortness chest of breath pain. and maybe even some chest pain yes, too. some chest How do you? What do you recommend on that one? Well, again, you know, it goes back to what we call, um, you know, risk stratification. Mm -hmm. So somebody who's got the risk factors, somebody, right. a, a, a gentleman who is over the age of 55, mm -hmm. a lady who is actually a gentleman over the age of 45, mm -hmm. a lady over the age of 55 who has any other risk factor, right. you have to assume it's cardiac until proven otherwise. And it's very important because, you know, um, a lot of times with patients, you really have to probe because, mm -hmm. you know, they've not exercised and they start getting short of breath and they assume, they'll tell you, right. well, I'm overweight, that's why I'm short of breath. And yet, mm -hmm. you, you, you probe a little deeper and you do some testing and you find out that they do have coronary artery disease. Right. And it's not just because they're overweight. Right. So it's not, you should really not minimize you know, these symptoms if you have them and try and self-diagnose. And definitely don't assume they are nothing. There's no harm in at least going to see your, your primary care physician. You don't right. even have to see a cardiologist, but at least your primary care physician. And, and I think you make a good point, and that's why I'm making sure we talk about this, because more and more we're seeing heart disease at an earlier age, mm -hmm. and younger people are having multiple risk factors too. And, um, you know, most, most people are going to be overweight or, and obese, too. Yep. Yeah. So, um, and, and I'll be honest, uh, it could be scary. It could yeah. be scary. Yeah. And I'm sending more and more people to the cardiologist because even myself, you know, the way you get more information is by doing that stress it's test, stress even, test even in your low-risk people yes. to a degree. Yes. So, but yeah. getting, getting back to the um, diagnostic procedures. Mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about that cardiac cath and, okay. and what that means. Okay, so, well, before that, um, I'd I like to, uh, you know, the, there are other tests you can do. Obviously, mm -hmm. you want to know what their cholesterol is because if they've got a very high cholesterol, then that's a problem. Mm -hmm. um, there's another test that has been shown to predict heart disease called the highly sensitive C-reactive protein, mm -hmm. which, you know, be the, the, in those arteries, there's, there's inflammation going mm -hmm. on in the plaque and there's an assay that's very sensitive, and if it's elevated, it suggests a future risk of heart, heart disease. So again, if whilst you're trying to tease this out before you do anything invasive, these are tests you can use to help you 
figure out what's going are, on. Are they covering that test in terms Yes, of? yes, they're covering the CA reactive protein now. And I guess we're pretty much getting more aggressive in that yeah. individual? Yes, yes. So somebody who has an elevated CA reactive protein should be on, remember you talked about the statin mm -hmm. even with a normal LDL? Correct. Same thing, somebody with an elevated okay. CA reactive active protein should be on one of the high intensity statins because it's been shown to decrease um, um, future events. So okay. let, let, let's comment, um, for that person who has established heart disease, what are mm -hmm. the typical medicines might that person be on? Okay, so you, the medicines are, pro, you know, now you're talking about secondary prevention. You're mm -hmm. trying to prevent a future heart attack. Right. So if they have, a, have had a stent, they should be on what we call dual antiplatelet therapy for at least a year post-stent. Mm -hmm. And that is um, aspirin, right. low-dose aspirin, with clopidogrel, which is... Um, 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 Plavix, mm -hmm. or, and I think you know the move is more to one of the newer medications called Brillanta, mm -hmm. which is which which has sh been shown to be superior in most cases to clopidogrel. Okay, but at least they should be on aspirin and clopidogrel for a year. After which they can only continue on aspirin. They should also be on a beta blocker, mm -hmm. like um, a um, you know the most common ones are Carvedilol or Coreg. And metropolol or topro. Can you share why that's important? Why is that important, that beta blocker? The beta blocker is important because one, it controls the blood pressure. Two, it's been shown to prevent future heart attacks and also to prevent um, deaths or significant hospitalizations in mm -hmm. the future from heart attacks. So it's important that right. they are on the beta blocker. That's a okay. long established part yes, of treatment. Yes, too. yes, absolutely. That's been around for for years, predates. Any, any, anything else they should be taking? Um, they should be on a statin, mm -hmm. and at that time you want to drive their bad cholesterol below seventy. Okay, once they've had previous heart attacks. Now, now are you going right to the seventy, or are you just giving that high, a certain dose of atorvastatin or, or something? Well, I'm usually once they've had a heart attack, you know, they really should be on high dose. So yeah. they should be on at least forty of atorvastatin right. or twenty of rosuvastatin. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, we have another caller. Yeah, this is important information, audience. Uh, we do have a caller. Let's go ahead and take the call. Hi, caller. How are you? Hi. Is there? A, thanks for calling. Do you have a question for us? Yeah. Um, I wanted to find out what the difference between heart failure is, and also I wanted to know um, if there are any supplements that we can take to actually prevent um, heart disease, I guess, or heart, heart failure. I don't even know the difference anymore, but okay. if there are any supplements that we can take to prevent um, heart disease. Okay. Well, thank you for that, the call and the question, and that second part of the question was something I was going to be bringing yes. up soon, too, yes. but thank yes. you. Okay. Ms. Okay. Dr. James, so go ahead and see if you can take All right. That. So uh, there are two different things. A heart attack is a condition where there's a decrease in blood supply to one or multiple walls of the heart, leading mm -hmm. to damage to the heart and what we mm -hmm. call um, necrosis of the heart muscle. Okay, mm -hmm. that's a heart attack. Heart failure, on the other hand, okay. is the body's the heart's inability to keep up with the demands right. of the body. Okay, so in heart failure, the heart is not able to beat out, push out enough blood blood to keep up with the demands of the body. So there are two different things. Heart attacks okay. can lead to heart failure. Right. There are other causes of heart failure. But I know in lay language, these two are uh, used interchangeably, right. which is wrong. Mm. So a heart attack, which is what we call a myocardial infarction, is when there is a, an interruption 
in the blood supply to the heart muscle, whereas um, congestive heart failure is when the heart is either beating weakly or stiff so that it's not able to keep up with the, what we call the metabolic demands of the body. Right. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. Thank you, caller. Okay. Thank you. Uh, now, the other question. Which one? Supplements. <laughs> Supplements, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a, uh, that's a good question. A I'm good really question. wondering. Yeah. I mean, mm. I, I know the studies have been out there about yeah. the omega-3s, yes. and um, based on my understanding of the omega-3s, the, the data doesn't support it, but we're still doing it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, again, again, I think that's why we both laughed when we talked about <laughs> supplements, because um, I think more important than any particular supplement, and you're going to get all these things about supplements, is a heart-healthy diet, okay? Yeah. And a heart-healthy diet is enough to prevent a heart attack without actually adding any supplements. We talk about fish oils, and I think there's still a place for it, even mm -hmm. though, you know, the data has not borne out. I still... I mean, I, I don't think there's any uh, harm in um, um, adding a fish oil to your diet. Right. There's some um, very, very weak data on vitamin D as well that um, is not really um, recommended. Um, the other thing, of course, is a supplement called red yeast rice, which is actually, it contains a naturally occurring statin. Okay. So it would decrease your, your levels of, um, of bad cholesterol. Apart from that, I think the, bigger, the best supplement is walking, Mm. and eating healthy right. you know i think uh, we you know as as a, as as a people we waste a little too much money on supplements that have not clearly been proven to to mm. to impact outcome you know now wh what's your understanding and, and give me your thoughts on on the power of a statin and do you see with our aging population most of us needing to be on that to help prevent mm -hmm. the most common cause of death Yes, I think statins, again, used in the right um, mm -hmm. patient population is a very powerful medication. It actually causes a significant decrease in the incidence of mm -hmm. heart attacks. There's actually a, a, a app that is available now because, you know, I think there was a time, you know, those, you, know you remember in the, in, the, in the 90s, you know, there was talk about putting statin in the water because it's such a good drug. Right, right. So there was probably <laughs> an um, indiscriminate use of statins, but mm -hmm. now there's an app, especially for, it's clear that if you've had a heart attack, you know, right. then there's no, mm -hmm. or if you're a long-standing diabetic, right. you know, or if you've got what we call established ath atherosclerotic mm -hmm. disease, which is heart disease or other um, um, plaque right. formation in other vessels. Mm -hmm. But the question is, in patients who don't have established right. plaque formation, primary prevention. primary prevention, who should we use statins on? And there's actually an app now um, put out by the AHA, the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology, which you can pull up and which we should all be using now. Is that the one? Yeah, ACS, ASCVD. Is that okay. the one linked to um, NIH? The calculation? Yes, it's a calculation okay, into okay, NIH. Okay. So basically, you can just, you know, you punch in the numbers, you know, sex, race, you know, blood diabetes. pressure, diabetes, mm -hmm. smoking. I don't think it is comprehensive enough. Right. It doesn't include things like family history and other emerging mm -hmm. risk factors. But it's enough to give you an idea. And I like it because mm -hmm. you can show the patient right. 
right. exactly what will happen with starting news, mm -hmm. where their risk over 10 years goes from 50% to 5%. Right. That's very powerful data. And this mm -hmm. is, so it's not, it's not kind of arbitrary anymore. Yeah, you know? and not yeah. just a 10-year uh, period. And lifetime. But lifetime. Exactly. You're right. And it's a powerful It's very powerful. Tool to it's, use it's a really there. powerful tool. And, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, what I would encourage viewer, viewer, listeners to and viewers to do is, you know, it's something you can discuss with your your physician. Once they get your um, your cholesterol, mm -hmm. ask them what your risk is and what, you know, an intervention, any intervention will do for yeah, your risk. No, it's yes. interesting. This calculation is so important. I keep it on my, my web page, yes, yes. laurelmedicine.com. Uh, okay. So feel free to go there and mm. plug in your numbers. Yes. And we use it quite a bit. Yes, I, I have it on my phone and it's an app I mm -hmm. just, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, we um we've talked quite a bit about a lot mm -hmm. of important information mm -hmm. about our health and mm -hmm. about our heart and uh, really glad to be focusing today on on your specialty and this mm -hmm. is what you do every day. Yep. Anything else you want to add that we haven't talked about? Well, you know what? I I got a text about oh. <laughs> <laughs> the keto diet. Um I think it's a it's all the rave now. Everybody's talking mm -hmm. about the keto diet, and, and they want to know what the impact of the keto diet is on heart disease. I think it's too early. Well, hold up. Let me interrupt. Briefly describe what that diet is. Well, I, I don't know whether I know it all, but basically it's a diet that is very low in carb and high in mm -hmm. fats and mm -hmm. protein. That will put you in ketosis and cause a lot of weight loss, okay? because you, are, you become more or less hypercatabolic, from my understanding. Right. The question is, what happens on a diet like this? Mm -hmm. The one thing I can say is that, and this is really looking at the, 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 the data from different diets, mm -hmm. that diets that are plant-based, high-protein, low-carb diets, are generally better in long-term outcome okay. than diets that are low-protein and high-carb. Mm -hmm. But the key there is plant-based, you know, and I think one of the concerns I have about the keto diet is there's a lot of push to eat a lot of animal protein. Right. And um, right. we know, I mean, you know, there used to be the Atkins diet before. Right. And, you know, mm -hmm. I hear um, um, Dr. Atkins died from a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> I heard so, the same thing, yeah, by so the way. Yeah, so go figure. And, <laughs> and, and that was kind of a precursor to mm. the, the keto diet. I, I know there will be a disagreement, but I think, you know, we'll, we'll know the answers five years from now when people have been on it long enough, you know. My review, as mm. I recall, was that that was not a good diet. No. I forget the exact reason why, but my understanding is plant-based is the way to go. Definitely and we want those complex carbohydrates versus simple carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And um, again, that gets into a more wholesome type diet. Yeah. You know, we, we're getting so much sugar in our diets and those are sugar. things we, yeah. we, don't, we really don't want. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that sugar is the largest drug in this world. You right, know? right. I mean, we get addicted to it, we can't get of it, and they put sugar in everything. Right, you know? and, and, and I'll be honest, one of the things over the past months that have impressed me is how our government allows this to happen. I don't know if it's the lobbyist or what. I think, I think it's the lobbyist. Yeah, yeah. Else. Let's not get into the politics of it. But we don't want to do that. Yes, we don't want to do yeah. that. Mm. Um, but it is mm. interesting how we, we do have to uh, be educated more yes, so these yeah, days and, and do our research and, and make some good decisions because these are life-changing decisions. 
So, anything else you want to say about cardiology? Uh, no, um, I think prevention, prevention, mm. prevention, you know. Mm. What do we say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. A lot of what happens in cardiology can be prevented, so stop smoking, exercise, live a healthy lifestyle, and listen to your physician and, um, and, 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 and be a little more objective about, you know, resisting medications, because that's one of the biggest problems, resisting even aspirins or resistant statin. And I'm glad you, know. you said that because I meant to make this clear and maybe you can share it. When someone has established heart disease and we put them on these medications, how long will they be taking these medications? Yeah, it's, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. And, you know, I'm sure there's a misconception out there and I've, I'm sure you've heard it before that especially with hypertension that, you know, once mm -hmm. you get on blood pressure medications, you can't get off it. As right. if it's a medication that's the reason you can't get off it. Right. You know, but the <laughs> truth of the matter is that these are chronic conditions and, and, and as for, for as long as you live, and if we want to pro prolong your life and have a better quality of life, you have to mm -hmm. be on medications and do the lifestyle things, the so-called therapeutic mm -hmm. lifestyle changes mm -hmm. that would, you know, help these diseases from 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 getting worse and we may not have the data in front of us but um, it is clear that the medications have saved and prevented quite a bit of um, yeah. surgeries absolutely. and things of that nature too absolutely they've prevented heart attacks they've mm -hmm. prevented patients getting chronic kidney disease which is another big one especially in the african-american community I mean you know right. they've prevented strokes so without a doubt, these medications have done a lot. You and know, so rumor, rumor has it that over in um, the UK, statins are available over the counter. Have oh, you heard I didn't that know before? That. Yeah, know. I've been mm. telling people that for years, and yeah. I haven't had a chance to now go back and verify it. Mm. But over there, um, they're 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 more readily available. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know if that country mm. is just more progressive than we are from yeah. a cardiac yeah. standpoint yeah. and medical yeah. standpoint. Yeah, I, I don't know. They, at least they have uni universal health care, but that's another topic. <laughs> that's political, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I know we're coming towards the end of the show. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, man, it's been great having a chance to talk about a very important topic. Um, again, my name is Dr. Daryl Hill. I can be reached at 301-497-0401 or laurelmedicine.com. We are always open there 24 hours a day. And if you want to just share your information again. Yes, again, my name is Ian Jamson. I'm a cardiologist. Um, my office number is 301-595-0356. And um, I can be reached at um, website is www.metrocardiovascular.com. And you can always send us emails at info at metrocardiovascular.com. Thank you. And we look forward to having more interesting and relevant topics to help you stay healthy. And, and next week, we should have Dr. Charles Wang in the house, where we will be talking more about medical marijuana and all hmm. the excitement in, in that area. Outside of that, I, I think we can say goodbye and say thank you for tuning in. And we look thank forward you. to seeing you at our See next episode. Okay.